Jesus died. He was gone. He was no more. His followers, afraid that they too would be taken and killed, ran away and hid. And then Jesus appeared in their midst. They were scared, thinking him a ghost, until he proved to them that he was real flesh and bone. His wounds were still present. He still bore the scars of his torture, but he was fully alive. They could touch him, put their fingers into his wounds, cling to him with joy. He still needed to prepare them for what was yet to come. What took place during these few weeks transformed these fear-filled followers into bold preachers with the message that Jesus was, in fact, alive, and that we need not fear death anymore. That he was the Passover lamb that made the permanent payment for sin if we would only accept his sacrifice. Hello, and welcome to God's Word for You for today from Liberty Lake Church. Today we have a special message by Church Elder Gary Baker. We will be looking up several passages, so take out your Bible and open it to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, and follow along with Gary as he looks at Jesus' appearances and teachings between his resurrection and ascension in the message titled, He is Risen. Now what? said it's been a morning uh, his uh, his idol is golf mine is square dancing and uh, sometimes I feel like I, I should be part of a 12-step meeting or something I can say hi my name is Gary and I'm a square dance caller uh, and in that process of calling which I, I do really love I get to travel some Unfortunately, our uh, activity is um, shrinking a little bit, and the callers are getting older. There aren't that many of us around. So anyway, I was in Plains, Montana last night calling a square dance. Got home, I don't know, it was close to midnight. Our trip was slowed down a little bit by, uh, you know, that stuff that we had hitting here yesterday that when it rained so hard. It was doing that on top of uh, Lookout Pass last night, but it wasn't rain. And uh, it was slushy and it was slow. We got through that, and then we there was an accident on Fourth of July pass, semi overturned going the other way. I don't know what all went there. Pray for that to be ended successfully. But anyway, long story short, we got home pretty late. I didn't set my alarm clock for early this morning, and uh, about seven o'clock, my phone started doing funny things, you know, little chimes for texts, and and then it. At about 7.30, my phone started ringing and the alarm clock went off all at the same time and I was in a fog trying to figure out which button to push to turn things off, you know. Holy cow. So while well, the phone call, I had to call back, was, was John Arwellis telling me that he's sick. The text was from Ben telling me about his and Nancy's situation. And then I started calling Todd and um, I just remember getting out in the kitchen and thinking and praying. You know, God is in control. And sometimes I think that, you know, my weekend has been pretty busy with that dance and then this. And I still got square dance lessons to teach this afternoon. I think sometimes when you think you've got everything planned out just like you want it, God says, oh, yeah, watch this. But then he, then he comes through and tells, shows you how to do it. And he uh, brings people like 
like Shane, thank you for doing that at the last minute. Um, I, I thought we were going to be listening to stuff that we streamed in to, on, the, on the computer this morning. That's just all I could think of. So, so anyway, that's, uh, that's been my morning. And glad to be here. I always like to start out anytime I give the message with the words of David in Psalm 19. It says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. That was David's prayer. It's always mine when I'm speaking. So, last night, or last night, yeah, last week was Easter. And, uh, of course, we always celebrate the resurrection. And one of the thoughts that came to me, or hopefully it was from God, <laughs> a couple of days before Easter, I knew Lee was uh, going to be preaching, and I, I had sent him a text asking, you know, anything that he might be preaching on. I thought, you know, I could kind of follow it up. And the thought came to me after I sent that text, you know, you think about the resurrection of Jesus. There is nothing more important to the foundation of our faith as Christians and the resurrection of Jesus. And how much time do we spend speaking about it and thinking about it and learning about it? Typically, one week a year. So I thought, well... Let's do something a little different this year. Let's, let's spend two weeks talking about an event that is so critically important. So I have, uh, I want to thank the crew up back here too. We also, we came in and found out that there was, uh, let's see, we couldn't get the computer up. Doug was uh, trying to get that up while he was doing the soundboard. And I couldn't do it. And then Dean showed up and yay, thank you. <laughs> so he's uh, got what I put on a flash drive for him. So I, I entitled today, I just said, you know, we always say on Easter, He is risen. And the answer is, He's risen indeed. Okay, so now what? Jesus didn't just um, walk out of the tomb and off into the sunset. He stuck around on earth um, for about six weeks. Luke tells us He was there for 40 days. And uh, so I guess one of the, the big questions for me is why? What was Jesus' real purpose for hanging around earth? He had his resurrection body. He had completed the mission that the Father sent him for. He was done suffering. He had glory. Why hang around? And he did. And I think one of the big purposes, if not the only purpose, was to convict to convince the disciples and to convince us that he had really risen. If Jesus did not show up and interact with people, then all we have is an empty tomb. We don't have anything else. Um, I was, was reading, there's a couple of other things that, a couple of the other religions in this world, so-called religions, um, there was uh, a story that in the, can't give you years on this, long time ago, when uh, Buddha died, somehow or other, some of the fingers of one of his hands, the bones, got sent to a Chinese emperor in the Tang Dynasty at that time. And in the 1980s, somebody discovered those finger bones somewhere. And 
they've become like a, a big relic in that faith and people have been flocking to see them. Finger bones. You know, okay. Uh, I saw another story about a, a, a missionary, a Christian missionary in a Muslim country. And uh, a Muslim uh, believer came up to him and, and was uh, saying, boy, I just feel so sorry for you Christians. He says, you have an empty tomb. He said, at least we go to see Muhammad. We have a coffin. We can see where he's laid. We can properly um, worship him. You, you just have an empty tomb. And of course, the missionary's response is, well, yeah, he's not dead. We don't have a body to worship because we have a risen, living Savior. And I think, you know, that's just, just so important and so cool. So I'm going to start, we're going to read a lot of scripture here. They're mostly stories. Um, one of the things I discovered as I went through this was you, I kept bouncing around different places. It was a lot of fun. You read a lot of different things. So I would encourage you, some of this I've got on slides that uh, Dean's putting up as I go, but also... Uh, I'll tell you where we're at in, in the Bible if you want to follow along. There's, I'm just going to give you some of the stories about Jesus' appearances after he died. We'll start off with the first chapter in Acts, first verse. Luke says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And this is where the important thing here. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Well, I just want to look at some of those appearances. The first one that we know about is to Mary Magdalene in the garden right after the tomb was discovered to be empty. John chapter 20, uh, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him. I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. One of the other gospels says that she bowed, she wrapped her arms around his feet. Physically. Um, so continuing on on that same uh, chapter, he then appeared to the disciples on the evening. Oops, I skipped the page, I think. No, I didn't. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, so that first day of the week, that's still the day that he rose, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. So these, these guys were, were pretty scared at the time. They, 
their whole earth, world had just come to an end. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, who was also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. These guys needed convincing. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, we have a story about two of the disciples. They weren't of the, the apostles. Um, we get a name for one of them. We don't know who the second was, but they weren't part of the, uh, the inner group. Does that same day, which was Easter day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And of course, transportation in that time is by foot. They're talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they have replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had hoped, but now they were afraid that their hope was gone. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he goes along with them and uh, he goes in to have uh, supper with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. So they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. This is evening. They just had supper. It's seven miles to Jerusalem, but it's that important. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when he broke bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. 
They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is why I to what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So, I know that's a lot of stuff, but it, it's important stuff. Jesus appeared in different ways, in different places, and there's, there's still another one we're going to look at. But it was important that he show up with these guys. Um, these men had been with Jesus for three years of ministry. They had followed him around. They had learned from him. They had seen him do miraculous things. They'd seen him bring other people back from the dead. Of course, those people, Lazarus, uh, the widow's son at the, uh, the funeral in the, in the village where he was visiting, uh, the little girl, they all went on to age and die later. They were brought back, but not with resurrected bodies like Jesus had. So these men had, had seen all that. They'd been there for three years. And the group of, of women that Mary Magdalene was part of, they'd been with them for a good part of that. But they never quite seemed to get it, did they? And it's not like Jesus didn't tell them. I mean, repeatedly he told them. Uh, in Mark 8, 31, he says, um, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And that's the, the story where Jesus says, Lord, let it never be. And Jesus says, oh, you're in the wrong place, Simon. But that's another story. We could. There's so many different places you can go with this scripture. We could be here all day, but... And there's another place where in uh, Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, Jesus, or it says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Now those are only two, two examples, but in spite of him telling the disciples this all the time, I think, think that the disciples were convinced that when Jesus came back, or when Jesus was revealed as the Messiah, they believed that he was the Messiah, but they were waiting for that to be revealed to the rest of the earth, for his, his kingdom to be on earth. They expected that that kingdom would come with power. I mean, the kind of power that would wipe the Roman Empire off the face of the earth. The kind of power that would see Jesus as king of the earth um, with the disciples being insiders. You know, they'd be in the inner circle. They'd have access to that throne. It was pretty cool stuff to think about. Well, then he was killed. He was arrested, mocked, beaten, crucified like the lowest of criminals. You think about the two guys that were on crosses next to him. And then fear set in. You know, what happened? Our, our Lord, this guy that was supposed to be powerful, our Messiah. The, I mean, he, it turned out he was nothing. 
They just wiped him out like, like nothing. And once fear gets a foothold, you don't know what to believe. You don't know who to trust. And then they find an empty tomb. None of them initially believed that wild report that they got from the women, you know, that, that Jesus was women. Women weren't to be believed in that time. I mean, this was, uh, as Lee pointed out last week, even the fact that uh, Jesus chose to reveal himself to these ladies for the first, um, that, was, that was unheard of. And it was a recognition of equality in God's eyes that um, was pretty revolutionary. So Jesus appeared to them physically in a way that they had to believe. They could touch him. They could put hands on him. Know that he wasn't a ghost. Watch him eat food. And then they knew beyond any doubt that they had seen the risen Lord. Now I think his, another purpose that, that uh, Jesus had to come back, so we talked about convincing, but I think there was also charging. He had a mission that he needed to charge Peter and the, uh, the other apostles with. And that was to continue what he had been had started. So another story that uh, about Jesus uh, appearing that I have always liked shows up in John 21. And the disciples are out fishing. Right? Most of them were fishermen. That's what they did. I think Matthew was a tax collector. Some of them were various things. But mostly they were fishermen. And they were lost at the moment. They didn't know what was going on. They were just not sure what to believe. So, like any good group of guys, they said, heck with it, let's go fishing. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you have any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. There's always somebody to tell you how to fish different, you know. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, I always like, John. this is the, the gospel of John. He always refers, when he's talking about himself, he never says his name. He says the disciple that Jesus loved. I think he loved them all. But He said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it, and some bread. This is the risen Savior, all power and glory and honor. Does he say, come over here and cook me some breakfast? He's already got a fire going. He's got uh, fish being cooked, and uh, he says, bring some of the fish you just caught. He's still being a servant, even at this point. Jesus is serving, leading by serving. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, so they'd been convinced. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus dis uh, appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
So this is where the charging comes in. Remember, Peter, at this point, had denied Jesus three times on the night before he was crucified. He was, um, he'd let Jesus down, and he was uh, feeling like a failure in, in terms of, of any ministry. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So Jesus told Peter that his life's mission was to feed his sheep, to shepherd the flock. And all the time that Jesus had been walking around with these guys and teaching them and taking them places, he had referred to himself as the good shepherd. He, he does that repeatedly in the gospel accounts. So now he's passing that mantle to Peter. He tells Peter, you're going to be the shepherd. Take care of my sheep. And he did it in the presence of the other disciples. They heard him give that mission to Peter. So now there's no doubt who's in charge. Peter's in charge. Peter's authority had come from Jesus himself. And Peter then, with the, the Holy Spirit, now remember he's still, he's not educated. He's a fisherman. But he became a bold preacher, spreading the gospel, taking on the Jewish leaders, the well-educated Pharisees, parts of the Sanhedrin, and they became amazed at his eloquence. Um, you think about Pentecost, Acts 3 and 4. Pentecost, remember, they're, they're still hiding. They're, they're worried. Jesus had told them to stay in Jerusalem and wait. He had sent, was going to send a messenger. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. And they're in this upper room, and the, they see what looks like flames of fire appearing to them, and they all start speaking in tongues. Um, the, the crowd that was there starts seeing him. There's all kinds of things going on. And Peter gets up and gives an impressive sermon and talks about how Jesus had risen from the dead and that their salvation was in him. And it said, I, I think the number was 3,000 men and their households came to believe that day. In uh, chapter 4, uh, Peter and I think John, yeah, Peter and John, are walking around and they find a, a lame beggar in the street. And he's looking for money. And uh, Peter says, I don't have money, but I'll give you what I do have. And he reached down and grabbed hold of him and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And he got up and walked. And the whole town of Jerusalem saw this happen. So the Sanhedrin dragged him in. So we got to stop this stuff. People are going to start believing this if we let this go on. 
And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So this is a guy that denied Jesus three times, never been to school that we know about, made his living with his hands, he's a fisherman, He's taking on the Jewish leadership and doing pretty well at it. Of course, the Jewish leadership also tried to convince everyone else that the whole resurrection thing had never happened, that it was a hoax. They didn't want all this stuff to be going on. They didn't want these people believing in a risen Savior. Now, Matthew 28, it says that while the women were on their way, this is after they had left the tomb, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. They want him to admit that they were asleep on duty. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. But the disciples had been witnesses. And Paul tells us that there were also others that saw Christ besides the disciples. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and the sisters at the same time, most of who were still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So Paul is telling us that there were plenty of other people that saw Jesus. Despite the Jewish leaders trying to say that this never happened, there were people that seen him. But then the other thing, uh, that whole hoax was kind of weak. Can you imagine, you think about it, how could the disciples have rolled away a stone that big without waking up the soldiers? And if the soldiers didn't wake up, if they stayed asleep, how could they identify the disciples as being people that stole the body? Now, the whole thing doesn't make sense. <coughs> Excuse me. So convincing those early doubters required intimate, personal encounters with Jesus, and that's exactly what Jesus gave them for the next six weeks after he was resurrected. And that fearful band of unreliable, think about Peter, followers, they turned into fearless evangelists. How could they not? They've seen and experienced and interacted with the risen Lord. Those 11 men that had deserted him all went to their graves proclaiming a risen Christ. And they set in motion a church that has stood the test of time and attack. 
For them, once they were convinced that Jesus had indeed been raised, everything changed. In one sense, nothing had changed. Rome still occupied Palestine. Religious authorities still had the disciples in their crosshairs. Death and evil were still a part of reality. But because of the resurrection, they were filled with courage, joy, and peace. So it made a big difference in their lives. So I guess now that the question is, what difference does the resurrection make in our lives today? The resurrection, as we talked about at the beginning, it's huge in the Christian faith. It's foundational. Our entire hope and faith as Christians rests on that resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrection makes a difference in what we think about Jesus. The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be. While he was on earth, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, equal with God the Father, and his resurrection confirms that fact. If he was not the Son of God, if he was not who he said he was, he could not have risen and been among the disciples for the days that he was, and he could not have then been ascended to heaven as he did. It proves that he had the power that he claimed to have. And it proves that he has the power to do what he promised. So when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. We know he can make good on that promise because of the resurrection. The resurrection also makes a difference in how we live today because it means that we are born again or regenerated, and our sins are forgiven. When you look at 1 Peter, he says, and this is in chapter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So our faith in Jesus allows us to be reborn spiritually. We were dead to sin. Just as he was dead and was in the tomb, we were dead. And we were in a spiritual tomb. But when he was resurrected, our faith in him says we were resurrected as well. To a, a faith and to a, a rebirth with our sins forgiven. Paul wrote, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. We looked at that just a minute ago. And it's just, think about that. How wonderful that is to know that our sins are forgiven because of his death and his resurrection. It gives us a peace 
doesn't it? To know that we're freed from the guilt and the condemnation of our sins. If we are resurrected, reborn with Jesus, then we have resurrection power in our lives here on earth. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which has called, he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's here. That's now. That's power. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted. That's God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and set him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That same power that God used to bring Christ back to, from the grave, he put in us. And he did that so that we have power to gain more and more victory over the remaining sin in our lives. It's power to live for Jesus, not for ourselves. The resurrection also means we have a purpose for living. In the last part of 1 Corinthians, where Paul's been discussing all the importance of the resurrection, he says this, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So our purpose is to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. We share the good news about Jesus and help the hurting in the name of Jesus. The resurrection also means that we have a home in heaven. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't just disappear and go poof. If all we had was an empty tomb, that's kind of what we'd have. It's just poof, he's gone. But his disciples watched him ascend. They watched him until they couldn't see him any longer. In Acts 1, 9-11, it says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And then angels appeared and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, 20, Paul says, God the Father raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So Jesus was taken up to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. That is a position of power. At any, any kingdom, any king, person on his right hand is like second in command. The only person in the kingdom stronger than that is the king himself. And we've been told that Jesus has authority over angels, authorities, and powers. He told us while he was here on earth, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you so. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where I am. How great is that? Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and me. We saw him leave. We know he went to heaven. The scripture says he's seated at the right hand with all power and glory. 
And we're going to spend eternity with him in our home in heaven. So let's summarize. Jesus' resurrection assures us that by God's power and Jesus' obedient sacrifice, we who believe in him are forgiven of all our sins, both those that we've already committed and repented of and those that we will commit in the future. That's important because we're still human. We're still bound up in these earthly bodies. We don't have our resurrection bodies yet. And they're made of flesh. And we will keep sinning until the day we go to be with Jesus. That's just part of the human condition. We know we have a purpose, which is to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to help the hurting in the name of Jesus. And we know we have a home in heaven because Jesus told us so. And he's been given all power and authority to make that statement. And because we know we're forgiven, we know we have purpose, we know we have a home in heaven, we can live confidently, gratefully, and hopefully. Confidently because we know God's great resurrection power is at work in us. Gratefully because we know God's wonderful love and the sacrifice that he gave for us. And hopefully because we know that death is not the end. There is a life beyond the grave and there is a home for us in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much for your word and um, for the things that you tell us about your son. We thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. We thank you that you have given us um, forgiveness of our sins and that you have given us uh, a purpose to serve you and that you've given us a place uh, in heaven when our time here on earth is over. Lord, help us use our time here on earth wisely. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to spread the good news, to help those who are hurting, to be emissaries for you, Lord, to glorify you and to bring your kingdom. Um, we thank you for everything that you do for us, Lord, and we just give praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go out tonight, well, I didn't realize I was still on. Hope I was in key. Um, oh, wow. As we go out today, think about the resurrection. Think about the power that Jesus gave us. Power to live, power to serve. Now think about the old Lutheran benediction that we used to get in church. It says, go in peace, serve the Lord. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to today's message from Liberty Lake Church in Liberty Lake, Washington. Our pastor, our elders, and our prayer watch team are available to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. Contact us through www.LibertyLakeChurch.com or follow us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome any comments you may have. As always, we appreciate your prayer support. Join us next week on God's Word for You for today for another message from Liberty Lake Church. Thank you again, and God bless.